Hi, Eric Goldwine here from LTCCC's Nursing Home 411 podcast. On this episode, I'm joined by Dr. Phyllis Mendel, a language and communications expert who also happens to be a mentor and dear friend of mine. Phyllis, who goes by the word grandma, just published a book called Words, and we'll chat about how to use the right words to communicate with nursing staff and advocate for residents and patients. Phyllis, who has stage four breast cancer, also shares what it's like going in and out of hospice, how she uses language to advocate for autonomy, misconceptions about elderly and infirm, and the art of dying well. Check out our show notes for more information about the book Words, available online and in-store at Politics and Prose, a DC bookstore. Hope you enjoy. Here's our music by Silverman Sound Studios. For nearly seven decades, Dr. Phyllis Mandel has been providing expertise in reading, writing, speaking, and all things communication to people around the world. In fact, she helped me come up with the introduction to this podcast. Phyllis has written five books, spoken in front of Fortune 500s, and mentored so many, including myself, who now hold leadership positions in various fields from medicine, law, psychiatry, to business, and the nonprofit world. And Phyllis just published a brand new book, Words, about using your words and your authentic voice to clarify, connect, and lead. Phyllis, welcome to the Nursing Home 411 podcast. It's really good to have you on. Thank you. It's a delight to be here. Yes. And Phyllis is on a, we'll call it an unorthodox book tour. Uh, this, This book, Words, just came out. Can you tell me about what this experience has been like for you? Well, it's been an interesting one because my book tour is taking place mainly in my easy chair in my apartment in Washington, D.C. because I just got off hospice. Uh, When I'm sitting still in my easy chair, I don't sound that way, but it does affect my book tour because... We want people to get to this book very quickly, both through my co-author, Erica Bryant, and through me while I'm alive and able to help people. And we'll get, a little, we'll get more into just the challenges of, uh, of navigating the healthcare system um, and of, going, of, of having home hospice. But can you tell us what this book is about uh, how it originated and who it's meant for? Yes. It was inspired by Timothy Snyder's book on tyranny. And this is a, a renowned European scholar who, instead of writing a scholarly document, wrote a very short, very small, very inexpensive book geared to the ordinary reader, when I read it, I had an epiphany. And that was that the books that my publisher published should now be compressed and put together in something more usable and inexpensive for younger people 
and the entire population of people who could not afford my books when they were published. And so during the pandemic, um, my dear young protege, Erica Bryant, uh, was hired and is now a full co-author to shorten the book. And it went from 80,000 words to less than 8,000 words, making it very small, very user-friendly, easily put in a pocket. I'm, I'm holding the book in my left hand right now. It's, it, it is, I have fit it in my pocket. Uh, it's made of 24 short chapters. They're quick hits. You can scan it and find examples. But for example, the first chapter is From Me to We, Drop the Unnecessary Eye. There's a chapter on avoiding fillers, which I'm sure you're going to find when you listen to that. When I edit this podcast, I'm going to trim out some of my own fillers. Uh, there's a chapter on trimming hedges. There's 24 quick hits. Now, what's an example of a tip that someone would find in this book? Okay. Actually, they aren't actually tips. After mm -hmm. many, many reviews, they are now called steps. They're called steps because steps can go up and down. And these go from the beginning to the 24th step. <clears throat> so the first one, the most important one, is to avoid the unnecessary I statement. And that's the one I'll detail a bit more because if you get that one, the rest of it is easy because everything is based on that first step. That doesn't mean that you can't go up from reading and writing issues to public speaking and speaking to people and going on to this pinnacle and the summit, loving argument and loving criticism, the two most challenging ways of communicating, no matter what you do in the world, whether you're a patient in a nursing home, a doctor, a nurse, a caregiver, a prisoner, if you can do those two steps, especially loving argument and criticism, then you have reached the highest levels of loving, caring communication that we all aim for. Uh, we, our organization, we work with uh, nursing home residents. We work with family members of nursing home residents. We work with advocates. And oftentimes we're, we're working with, uh, with different stakeholders or different people who are on the same team, but they might have different challenges, such as a family member uh, working with a with staff from a nursing home, and they're trying to have the best outcome for a resident. Or maybe the, the resident themselves, they want a positive outcome, and they want to communicate to a nurse. How would someone use some of the lessons, some of the steps in this book, uh, in that setting and to achieve those goals? Yes. Well, having experience in that setting, when my mother was in a nursing home, she died more than 30 years ago. But I recollect the kindness and the ways that the workers in the home, who are not the highest paid workers, always extend to not only loving kindness to my mother, 
but also to me as as the the child of a patient and they I will never forget the many kindnesses that they gave to me and they never said a harsh word to me even when one night when she was dying and I was sitting by her bedside and I asked if one of the aides could give me some coffee from the aides room where nobody's actually supposed to go and the aide who had lots of other work to do looked at me, looked at my mother, took empathy on us and said, just wait a moment, I'll make you a fresh pot. To me, that is the highest level of loving, kind communications. And there are always many problems that come up with a very sick and dying person. But a life of learning how to communicate taught me that even if something was wrong, it was more productive, kinder, and more successful if my concerns were expressed not out of anger, not out of accusation, because the problems were never done by the people in direct contact with the person. But even then, the basic principles, this is not about you. This is about a rule that's causing trouble. This is about a procedure that doesn't seem to be successful. This is about trying to figure out by a person who had lost all of her usable language and to try to understand what would make her happy in a particular situation. So language can soothe the heart, can ease anxiety, can reduce disagreement and can bring a thankful and loving environment all around us at every level. And what about yourself? How have you used your words to advocate for yourself, uh, and especially in these last few months uh, dealing with hospice? Uh, uh, of course, I, I've seen it firsthand. You have a, a good support system too. Uh, so just for context for the audience, I saw Phyllis a couple months ago and she had uh, uh, neighbors, friends, uh, grandchildren, uh, sons, uh, everybody uh, working with her. And that's in part because Phyllis is a magnet. Uh, but how do you use your words to, and how have you used your words to advocate um, for yourself? Never criticize the person because the person is not the cause of the problem. And open questioning, truthfulness, which has served me and served my family so beautifully, but telling the truth. And if you have a concern or a criticism, it's best to talk about the concern and not about the person sitting in front of you, because that person has not caused the problem in probably 98% of the cases. So the issue, one of the issues was that I had to get off hospice care because I needed a procedure which had to be done three times a week by a nurse. But I spoke openly to the nurse who was in charge of my case and she explained to me 
and recommended that I get off hospice. Uh, People think that once you're on hospice, you're about to die. But as my own doctor quipped to me, just because you're on hospice doesn't mean you have to die. But nobody knows what day you're going to die. And the nurse is fully cooperative. And she explained that the bed didn't have to be returned, that I I could keep the medicines in my cabinet locked away in case I ever needed them, that I could keep all the equipment in my house temporarily until I needed it again, and that I could get off and back on again and even have my own excellent nurse again. People who have not had any experience, and I had no experience with it, had no idea that this was true. So it was a happy surprise about hospice and the fact that it was so easy for me to get on and then back off again and back on again when I'll need it. When people think of hospice and when people think of elderly and and the infirm, they don't think of uh, uh, someone having just published a book or now is is, uh, talking in an interview. Uh, It's not what comes to mind. What are some of the misconceptions about elderly and infirm that that you think of, especially uh, in context of of your experiences? Well, people seem to believe that old and infirm people either have no autonomy or must relinquish their autonomy, whether they want to or not. My 85-year-old age mates have all the aches and pains of old age, but remain fiercely independent, choose to remain in their own homes, have helpers if they can afford them, or, or neighbors or friends helping them. They have caregivers, and again, neighbors uh, instructed not to call 911 if they're unconscious and often have grown children who love them but want to tell them what to do. I have only one age mate who has agreed to give up her independence and now sits at home alone all day watching TV with paid help she detests and demeans. All the others are working within their age-related limitations, donating time to charity, taking up new interests, delving deeper into their own professional work and hobbies. I am not unique in finishing and self-publishing my sixth book, Words, and my interior designer friend, hobbled by a stroke five years ago, is happily serving only her lifelong customers with adjustments. Someone else measures the windows, clients send cars to pick her up and she's as happy as a clam despite many physical limitations and every one of us has refused to go and live with our children's safe homes during the pandemic we are truly a bunch of tough broads in the most loving sense so it's our podcast tradition to end the interviews with two recommendations. Uh, one of uh, them uh, has to do, can have to do with uh, health or long-term care, and then one of them can be just anything. So I'm going to start 
by asking you about your, your anything. This is your free-for-all recommendation. Okay. My free-for-all is a book that because I've had five repetitions before this final repetition of my breast cancer, um, I became interested and I began going to some committee and some meetings, the kind of death over dinner meetings that people are organizing now over the country. And the first recommendation is a book. It's written by a non-doctor and it's called The Art of Dying Well. The author is Katie Butler. And I have it now in my phone. I just listened to it again. But most of what I thought were my good ideas about learning how to die well come from Katie Butler's excellent book. The other recommendation is a big one. So this is a recommendation of what this last month or so of my life has taught me. Consider that reverence for life requires a new definition in an age where machines can extend our lives after the person has already died. Considering, consider the benefits of replacing fear of death and focus on death over which we have no control and focusing instead on making life you still have as good as it can be each day, one good day at a time. Whether you're a patient, a resident in a nursing home, a caregiver, or a family member, think about the many possible ways to help furnish the small moments of being to yield one good day at a time. And consider respecting the autonomy of the patient while they are sentient to make choices, even if you disagree with your choices. That's great advice. Thanks so much, Phyllis. The book is called Words. We're going to put a link to it in the show notes. It's selling at Politics and Prose. And Phyllis's website is thewordgrandma.com. And you can learn more about Phyllis and also get some of her uh, advice and and read some of her work for free. Again, that's thewordgrandma.com. Thanks so much, Phyllis. Thank you, Eric.